0: This is an ABC podcast. Hack.
1: (laughs) Hey, we're back. The regular Hack podcast is back with you. G'day, it's Dave Marchese. Did you miss me? No, because I was here all over summer, of course. We had the Summer Hack podcast. Had a great time with you there, but now we're back to regular programming. We've got all the good stuff. We've had a big rest. We're refreshed, ready to crack open some big stories for you this year. And hey, the podcast, remember last year, we kind of put it out there to you and said, we're trialing this new thing. We're dividing hack up into segments. We're doing this trial. We want your feedback. Well, we did get a lot of feedback. We heard from you. Some people loved it. Some people didn't like it as much. They preferred the full podcast. What I can tell you is we've listened to what you had to say, and on your podcast feed, we're going back to what you had before, the full hack podcast. So you can listen to it all at once. It's going to be uninterrupted. You're not going to have to click on different segments or hear ads in between or anything like that. So we are doing that. We were also exploring the way um, of of having those segments by themselves So there's a whole bunch of changes that you might see over the podcast in the months ahead. But for now, the Hack Podcast in full is with you. And today it's a big one. We're talking about some of the big stories that have been kicking off lately. That Andrew Tate stuff, like what the hell's going on there? So many developments over the past few weeks. We'll bring you up to speed, get into the impact of these manosphere influences that they're having on young guys First, though, we're talking about dating apps.
2: The point of this roundtable is to hear from the
0: dating app providers themselves, also law enforcement, because we want to keep Australians safe online.
1: On Triple J. Yeah, dating and hookup apps, huge part of our lives. Like, you'll know, some people check them more than their emails. They're flicking through constantly, connecting with new people, meeting new people. Obviously, a lot of good stuff can come from them. But there are also major issues that need to be sorted out. And, you know, we've been covering these problems for years on Hack. You might remember we did that big investigation into sexual assaults and dating apps a couple of years ago, and it highlighted massive flaws in the way the apps are keeping users safe. Well, today, the government announced a big meeting. It's bringing together all the major players this week, people from Tinder, Bumble, other apps, politicians, experts and they're gonna try and come up with a plan. In a bit, we'll speak to someone who's gonna be at that meeting. But first, here's Shalala Medora to recap what we found out in the dating apps investigation. And just a warning, this story does contain description, descriptions of sexual assaults.
3: Do you guys feel safe on dating apps?
1: Yeah, uh, personally, I think it's probably, if you're a woman, you might find it's not as safe or you don't feel as safe.
3: Back in 2020, Hack teamed up with the ABC's investigative show, Four Corners, to look at how safe people felt on dating apps.
0: The problem with dating apps isn't that they're dating apps, the interaction that you have with them, meeting up with people, is that people use this the wrong way. I know people that have met through Tinder, they've met amazing people, but unfortunately, for a lot of people, it doesn't end the way they want it to be.
3: We got more than 400 responses to our crowdsource, And the majority said they'd experienced sexual harassment or assault.
0: When I first got on Tinder, I guess I was trying to find love or to try and find someone to be in a relationship with.
3: This young Victorian woman was raped after matching with a guy on an app. He um, pinned me down. I was like, I don't want to do this. You know, like, I'm not in the mood. The next day, when she was back in the safety of her own home, she decided to report the rape to Tinder. But she says the man had blocked her by using the unmatched function, deleting their entire chat history. The lack of evidence that they'd ever even met up at all stopped her from reporting the assault. Tinder is worth a massive $2 billion a year. And yet, through the Hack Four Corners investigation, we found that the way the app operated actually enabled sexual predators. The unmatch function could cover up crimes and stop people from reporting. But of the victims, survivors of sexual assault who did report to Tinder, few received a satisfactory response. Since our investigation, Tinder has announced a range of changes, including a review of its handling of sexual assault complaints. It's updated its reporting function so that people who make a complaint receive a response and are directed to counselling services. It's made it easier to report people who have unmatched them, though the unmatched feature itself is still available.
0: It's hugely concerning
2: um, that that feature has remained a part of the app, particularly as you know we're seeing victim survivors' experiences come to light and we're aware of how perpetrators are able to take advantage of that function. One
3: of Tinder's competitors, Bumble, has taken the criticism about the unmatched function on board. Since the investigation went to air, Bumble announced that after being unmatched, a conversation would be greyed out instead of disappearing altogether. There's also a report button in the chat, which the company says will make it easier to report harassment. The communications minister at the time the investigation aired, Paul Fletcher, told Hack that dating apps have a responsibility to build safety into their products.
4: They operate these sites and make a lot of money from them and they need to make sure that they're designed in a way that they're doing everything they can to protect uh, the safety of people who use these sites.
0: Hack on Triple J.
1: Yeah, that's the former Communications Minister, Paul Fletcher, ending that update from Shalala Medora. And, hey, if this story has raised any issues for you, remember, help is there. You can always call 1-800-RESPECT. Lifeline is on 131114. So there is this big meeting happening on Wednesday, bringing together politicians, advocates, the apps themselves to talk about online dating safety. One of the people going is Australia's eSafety Commissioner, Julie Inman-Grant, and she's with us now. Commissioner, thanks so much for joining us on Hack. Thanks so
2: much for having me, Dave.
1: Best case scenario, what comes out of this big meeting?
2: Well, listen, um, we as eSafety have been engaging with... The dating apps since 2019, uh, specifically uh, with Match Group, who's the owner of you know popular dating sites like Tinder and Hidge, amongst others, um, as well as Bumble and um, and the Meet Group, and we've just been trying to understand. How these platforms encourage user reporting, because we know all forms of sexual harassment um, and assault are underreported. Is it easy? Is it intuitive? Are they acting quickly? And how they're dealing with cases of predation. We know across all of our platforms and schemes, if you've got a determined predator, not only will they try and target a number of people on one site, Chances are they'll be going to multiple dating sites to do the same thing. So we want to make sure that the companies are doing a much better job at preventing what we call recidivism. So preventing these bad actors from returning to harass or assault more people. But we also want to see more cross-industry sharing to the extent possible with privacy laws so that we can prevent you know the creation of mass fake and imposter accounts, but also prevent um, them from targeting other people on other platforms.
1: So there's a lot of information flying around today about what we might see happen. And again, people are speculating the meeting hasn't happened yet. But for instance, I saw someone suggesting maybe we should see criminal or background checks for anyone signing up to one of these uh, dating or hookup apps. Do you think that's something we could see or that it's a good idea?
2: Well, listen i don't think we want to preempt any um important discussion that helps uh, that that might um, happen there um and that really is the domain of of law enforcement these are overseas-based companies and will also be contingent upon um, what our privacy act um, enables these platforms to share around that sensitive information. But I think there are some really important things that the platforms can do today. And then we can look at uh, longer term solutions, of course, my minister, Michelle Rowland, is um, facilitating all this. Um, minister Rishworth will be there. My colleague, Michaela Cronin, uh, the new Family and Domestic Violence Commissioner, will be there, as well as groups like ANSPA and uh, from the um, NGO and regulatory community. So, so again, I think the top three things we'd like to see, we'd like to see the companies making better efforts in building safety by design and deterring misuse and there could be things as simple as using nudge technologies to send a warning to users before either before they post or send an abusive uh, comment but also to perhaps a signal to a person that they might be at risk these companies are picking up a range of signals and with um advanced AI and machine learning systems pretty commonplace place now they need to be deploying these um, these technologies to keep people safe we'd like to see greater empowerment for victims when things do go wrong on these platforms so making sure that there is um, easy um, reporting mechanisms that are in apt that are responded to quickly um, and even when a user unmatches, matches another form of empowerment is in terms of greater, um, information and education at e we've got some really comprehensive safer online dating information, but you know, today in the online dating world, um, we have to actually, I don't, I miss the dating revolution, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but people who are, you know, looking for that romantic needle in a haystack are finding it online. It's become more commonplace and they have to deal with everything from love bombing to sugar dating, gaslighting, stealthing, trauma bonding, stonewalling, nagging, deflecting and a whole range of other potential harms. So um, don't ask me to define all of those, but I think that just tells you how much more complicated the uh, online dating world has become. What? And we need the, these companies to be responsible and stay ahead of this curve.
1: And the response, I mean, it might be complicated as well in the sense that, you know, what people are calling for, I saw an anti-violence group calling um, for apps to implement a 100 points of ID system to better protect users. But, you know, I'm guessing some of the apps are going to say, well, look, especially hookup apps, there might be a level of anonymity for some non-sinister reasons. For someone using Grinder, for instance, might not be out. And so they don't want to give away their ID. You've got to consider all of those things, as well as data breaches and people being more um, wary about giving out their information after what we saw last year with those massive breaches.
2: Dave, you're absolutely right. I think we have to take a 360 degree view of all of these issues. Now, pseudonymity can be a safety feature. For somebody from the LGBTQI community, or or a woman who may not want someone that she's building trust with on a dating app to know her full identity, or um, you know, as a as a matter of safety, so there aren't any easy fixes here. And but I do think that we do need to put more responsibility on the platforms to hold perpetrators accountable to the extent they can, and this could be as basic as just in really enforcing their terms of use, for instance, by temporarily suspending users who have breached terms and not allowing them to easily come back onto the platform to
1: commit more abuse. You're listening to Hakam Dave Marchese, speaking with Australia's eSafety Commissioner, Julian Mangrant, about a big meeting the government's calling this week on dating app safety. Commissioner, the apps are saying, look, we've made big improvements in recent years. We've changed features, strengthened policies. Is the issue here, though, consistency that not every app is being as proactive as another app?
2: Right, no, I think um, that's absolutely right. Even in the four years that we've been engaging with these companies, we've seen a lot of improvement. But I kind of think about this as an arms race <laughs> and offenders and predators are eg- exactly why they're called predators. They learn many creative ways to misuse technologies and to exploit uh, loopholes. So we also want to make sure that the, the dating apps are working with organizations like e to make sure that we're we're nudging people so that they understand safer online dating practices. But we shouldn't be putting the illness totally on those people. We need to do more um, with the technology in terms of making sure, without creating a false sense of security, that people that we know have criminal records, for instance, um, are identified. The problem is that so many people that may engage in this kind of behavior, including criminal behavior, may not have interacted with the criminal justice system before. So we don't want to create that false sense of security uh, that, you know, if at some, some point in time, the, the platform, some or all of them are using the offender registries that, that people are going to be completely safe.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's right. We know the, the statistics when it comes to conviction rates and those sorts of things. So you're right. It means people may not have a criminal record. Look, we're going to be saying across all of this because it's a big conversation that's so important to our listeners. And we want to make sure that we keep up to date and hear how these discussions are going. E-Safety Commissioner Julian McGrath, thanks for joining us on Hack. Thank you for having me hack on triple j we've got some messages coming through on this one someone says proof of id or background checks are fair enough as long as they don't keep the data afterwards so we don't end up with a hack leaking personal details and yeah we will keep you up to date with what happens at that meeting on wednesday we'll make sure we know what the outcome is and how we're moving forward
4: breaks in the house i'm not sending her to fight
5: it's my job right i have to risk my life to protect her
1: so when someone doesn't break in the house and I ask her for breakfast, I expect it to be made. On Triple J. Yeah, I don't know about you, but this Andrew Tate story's kept me hooked all summer. You know, from the big feud with Greta Thunberg, him being tracked down and then thrown into jail in Romania... Despite that, though, his social accounts still firing stuff off, making content. We know Andrew Tate's got a huge following, millions and millions, especially young guys, including here in Australia. And some of them defend his opinions, really, really controversial, vile opinions on male supremacy, even celebrating violence against women. In a bit, we're gonna hear from experts about the actual influence of people like Andrew Tate and how seriously security officials are taking it. But first, here's hack reporter April McLennan to explain where this story is up to.
5: I do know how to administer CPR. However, I will not administer CPR unless you're a hot female. Life for a man is harder than life for a woman. We need to have a lot of shit to be an important man. To be a woman, you need makeup.
0: Any guesses to who that is? It's the controversial social media star who's known for his extreme and misogynistic views towards women. Yep, that's right, it's Andrew Tate. He's currently locked up in a Romanian prison. Tate was detained at the end of December for a 30-day period on charges of human trafficking, rape and being part of an organised crime group. A judge in Romania now granted a request to extend that detention period for another 30 days up until the 27th of February, while the investigation continues. But Tate's likely to appeal this extension. Just to refresh your memory of how it all went down, in December, climate activist Greta Thunberg told Andrew Tate to get a life on Twitter after Tate told her that he owned 33 cars with enormous emissions. Tate wrote back in what appeared to be a bit of a taunt saying, "'Please provide your email address "'so I can send a complete list of my car collection "'and their retrospective enormous emissions.'" Greta fired back saying, yes, please do enlighten me. Email me at at smalldickenergy@getalife.com. Absolutely savage, Greta. In response to this, he posted a video, and I'm sure most of you've seen it. But if you haven't, picture former kickboxer Tate lounging around in a red bathrobe smoking a cigar.
5: I'm not actually mad at Greta. Please bring me pizza and uh, make sure that these boxes are not recycled.
0: He's then passed two pizza boxes. Internet sleuths reckon the pizza box from a well-known chain in Romania helped police confirm Tate was in the country and played a crucial role in his arrest. Controversial online influencer and self-confessed misogynist is facing charges this morning for human trafficking, rape and organised crime. But Romania's crime unit denied Tate's arrest had been made because of the pizza boxes. Wild, right? Tate was previously banned from Twitter after saying that women should bear some responsibility for being sexually assaulted. He was then banned from Instagram and Facebook last year for violating its policies. But when Elon Musk took over Twitter, Tate's account became active again. And while we know Tate's currently in prison, this story gets even more bizarre. Former kickboxer and self-appointed masculinity guru Andrew Tate has continued to gain followers across various social media platforms. This spike in followers may have something to do with the fact that he's still tweeting while in a Romanian prison. He even tweeted this morning saying, In the dark and silence of solitary confinement, there is almost no noise. Pray for me. I can hear you. And while it's not clear if it's Tate himself or his social media team, I am absolutely shook. Most people can barely get away with tweeting at school or work, let alone prison. Hack on Triple J.
1: April McLennan there with That Story, and I want to know what you think of this whole Andrew Tate story. Have you changed your mind about him recently? Or maybe someone close to you is a big supporter, a brother, a partner, they defend him? let me know. You can message in 043975755 I want to get into this more, and I've got someone in studio with me now who can break it down a bit. Hunter Johnson is the CEO of Man Cave, which is a charity that focuses on preventative mental health and emotional intelligence in boys. Hunter, thanks so much for joining us on Hack. Thanks for the opportunity to be here. Look, we know that Andrew Tate has a huge following, right? Do we know how big of an impact he's having on boys and young guys here in Australia?
5: Yeah, I think he's a very divisive character. What we're seeing, you know, we've worked with about 40,000 young men through Australian high schools and our whole philosophy is that the work that goes on at a preventative level has to be positive. And when we can equip young men with emotional and social tools from a really young age, that'll help not just them, but their relationships in our communities too. And what we've now seen through our surveys is that young men are really resonating with Andrew Tate. Uh, he's providing with them uh, a level of confidence, um, uh, almost a resistance to politically correct culture and a resistance to cancel culture. And a lot of these young men are feeling uh, overwhelmed with, I guess, the, the confusion around
1: what's required in their modern masculine identity. Is this across the board? Like, are we seeing uh, more worrying stuff in some environments, whether it be private schools, bo- all boys' schools, and those things where there's maybe a different kind of culture that focuses on masculinity a bit more? Yeah, absolutely. What we're seeing, particularly over COVID, we saw that the uh,
5: because so many uh, young people spent time at home, not in environments where they could develop their social and interpersonal skills, since coming back, these young men are showing more levels of disrespect and disengagement at right. school, in particularly towards their female teachers. And so my whole positioning, and this is what comes from the man cave, is we need to see young men as part of the solution opposed to the problem. How do we invite them in? How do we get curious about their inner worlds? Not judge them, but actually appeal to their values and their character.
1: We want to come into some of those strategies that we can deploy and some of the work that you're doing with young guys around the country. Hunter Johnson, stay with us. We're actually going to bring in someone else right now. Associate Professor Josh Ruse is from Deakin Uni. He's an expert in extremism, political science, and he is with us. Josh, thanks for your time. No problem. Good afternoon. Why are young guys drawn in so much by Andrew Tate? Like Hunter mentioned a few of those reasons, but what's your research showing that's, you know, about why, uh, what's getting them hooked?
4: There's probably two layers to it that we need to understand. The first is just the superficial, uh, the appearance. Uh, Tate surrounds himself with, you know, expensive watches, alcohol, cigars, material things, uh, cars, but also scantily clad women and and so at that superficial level, it taps into that that old fashioned form of sexism that's prevalent, particularly amongst um, you know, boys in schools, um, and and for has been throughout Australian history in many respects. At a, at a deeper level, he the actual vocabulary that he employs is the language of of the schoolyard, of, of winners and losers, of hyper competition, um, and 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 to many extents, uh, that's that's the language that many of us, including myself. Uh, who went to a private boys' school, were brought up upon. So there's a normative dimension to this that he's tapping into where young men are sort of sorting themselves out, trying to find themselves as men, and he talks about, well, you know, if you're successful, it's because you deserve to be, otherwise you're a loser. It's about the accumulation of material goods, and and to that extent, that's, that's a common theme in wider society, whether we like that or not.
1: You know, we're hearing from a lot of people on the text line right now. Um, You know, some people are being pretty blunt. Oliver says, to put it simply, Andrew Tate is an F-wit. We're hearing from teachers as well saying, you know, one person, I'm a primary school teacher. I'm really shocked to hear that my 11-year-old boys know who Andrew Tate is and speak about him as if he's a valid source of information. It terrifies me. It's not just Andrew Tate, though, is it, Josh? Like, there are other influencers pushing out similar kinds of content, right?
4: Yeah, right. This is a global issue. And we're seeing those reports from schools across the UK, Europe, the US, uh, where Tate and others have been influential. And and there's a serious concern about it. And there are other influences, and there have been influences well before Tate came on the scene, uh, and others who I won't platform here. But really, why are they emerging? And the question is, why have they gained some sort of um, uh, you know, predominance on, online? And, and part of that is because it's so profitable. And these, these are people who are really using highly polarising language, misogynistic language, um, hateful language in many respects, and, and it's because it's profitable. Social media in particular rewards polarising language. It's how many likes they're getting that attracts sponsorships and, and so on. So for as long as social media companies fail to act and regulate, there will be many more popping up in this guy's place. I wanted to ask, Andrew Tate
1: being behind bars now, how does that affect things? Like, does it mean his fans are seeing him in a new light or does all the coverage run the risk of making a martyr out of him and, you know, making him more popular?
4: Look, a big part of, of Tate's message is male victimhood. It's uh, he, he pushes out this idea that men have it a lot tougher than women. Men have to work, uh, women can just show up, uh, a lot of other similar sort of garbage. But what what it does is this this ties in his, his imprisonment, he he will use this, he will seek to tie it into his level of victimhood, his martyrdom for for speaking the truth as he sees it. and and he will attempt to exploit this for gain. And so it really depends on on the charges which appear to be quite serious. But ultimately he's going to seek to use this, but the alternative is is doing nothing and letting people like this continue to prosper. So uh, whether we like it or not, um, whilst he's got that social media profile on Twitter, and other forms this is this is going to continue
1: all right associate professor joshua ruse from Deakin uni thank you very much for your Sorry. take on that i want to get back to hunter johnson from man cave hunter you've just been listening to all of that obviously it's a huge problem not just in australia but around the world how do we deal with all of this like your organization's out there talking to young guys helping them see things differently but how do we do that Starts with listening, and what I mean by that
5: is actually have it creating spaces where boys can have politically incorrect, messy conversations where they can let out what they really think and use that as a chance for teachable moments. What we know is these young men are finding a gateway to his content, and actually, it's more than just young men; it's a lot of older men too. Tate's representing a model of masculinity that has confidence. He's speaking to men in a way which isn't resentful, isn't condescending to them in their opinion, and that seems to be resonating. So, I think we got to look at what what is he doing that is so successful that is resulting in such an, uh, a wake of interest? And again, the answer lies with, with teachable moments with young men. Instead of uh, shaming them, which we know is not the answer, we have to create spaces of awkward, if needed, conversations so that they can lean in and hear firsthand from elders in their life about the lived experience that might be different to Tate's point of view. What
1: kinds of responses do you get from young guys? Is there a lot of pushback when you start to talk about these things or are you finding that they want to open up. They want to talk about this kind of stuff. They would
5: love to talk about it, but they want an environment where they feel safe and respected and that it can be confidential because otherwise they see, I guess, cancel culture as an example that they can't say what they really think. We also know the conversations around gender has really progressed in the last few years. And a lot of young men have a lot of resistance to those cultures. They think it's overly politically correct. And what it takes, again, it's just listening to people's lived experience is often the gateway that we find. There's a saying that we have in our line of work that you can't hate somebody whose story that you know. And once these boys listen to lived experiences of people from different walks of life, a different gender to them, they often do
1: open up and they do want to be allies. And what? kinds of ages are we talking about in terms of the um, boys, the young guys that you're working with?
5: So we specifically work with 12 to 16-year-olds. So those first formative years of high school where everything is happening to you at once, yeah. you know, your body's developing social like pressures um, and, and the rest of it, let alone, you know, the influx of social media. But I think where it gets really worrying is the amount of time that's spent on apps like TikTok, which is, um, as Josh was saying, designed to continue capturing our attention. And this is the nuance of when we're told not to watch something or we de-platform or cancel someone, automatically there's an extra curiosity there. So we know that Kate got a, uh, sorry, Tate got got a huge groundswell of insights and new followers after he was deplatformed. And I think what we're starting to see is young men feel like protective of Tate because they feel like they see a part of themselves in Tate, that they, he's been becoming the victim. And again, as Josh was saying, they're quite protective
1: of that. And what I found interesting when I was speaking to you before is that, you know, you've been monitoring the online space and you guys kind of picked up on this trend before he sort of started to go viral, right? Yeah, correct. So we, uh, just towards the end of last year, interviewed about
5: 550 boys in our programs and basically just said, no filter, like what's your lived experience of Tate? What do you think? What do you feel? And this was about six weeks before he took off um, into virality. And a lot of the boys, about a quarter of them were saying they resonated with him. Um, A quarter of them were neutral and then the rest didn't but they often watched his content and so even if they didn't agree their eyeballs were still being drawn to capturing or to his capturing of their attention and I think what we're starting to see with these players like Tate they are masters at capturing eyeballs and that's the scary thing I think we have some of the smartest minds in the world who are working at hijacking our attention and slowly it can
1: radicalize our belief systems and look we've been talking about that attention kind of crisis and um, you know ways to combat about it over the past few months on Hack, There's definitely a lot of research into that area. This kind of research is really interesting as well. And look, we appreciate your insights into it. Hunter Johnson from Man Cave. It's an amazing kind of organisation that you lead doing incredible work. Thank you very much for coming in and speaking with us on Hack. Thanks so much. We've got some messages coming through. Someone says, I'm a high school teacher. Tate is rampant. Boys love him. Girls hate him. They parrot him because he's one of the few male role models. Where are the good male role models? Someone says. Hack on Triple J. And that is all we've got time for on the Hack podcast for now, the first full Hack show podcast for 2023. It's been so nice spending it with you. Catch us again tomorrow. See ya.